to open your hearts, open your ears, uh, to hear what God has for you this evening as I share. And I'm going to do my best to stay in this region. I hear I'm allowed to go about this far. My elbow is now out of the screen, and I'm about to go this far. So I'm going to do my best to stay right here. Uh, as if that introduction was not strange enough, what a crazy year that we have had, guys. Uh, 2020 has not been what any of us have expected, uh, from COVID to being locked down in your homes. For some of us, that was a blessing. For some of us, uh, that was a curse. However you saw it or viewed it, it is strange times. Then we had some crazy bugs. They're called the murder hornets, right? Those came out for a few days, and then those left. Uh, with all the tension that is going on, there's political tension, racial tension, there's peaceful protests, there's violent riots. We have a new state forming or this, that just got disbanded today in Seattle, but there is so much crazy stuff going on, and sometimes we just have to sit back and be like, what is going on, right? Like, what is this world coming to? And we know what the answer is, guys. We are headed towards the end. Our God said he would take care of us, so we have nothing to fear and to worry about, and sometimes it's just flat-out entertaining to see what is going on, but that should not stop us from taking our role as the church, and that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight. Uh, you know, as we looked at this quarantine time, and just in my family, there's things I look back in my life and I'm like, man, if I had known these things were coming, would I have done anything different? Uh, when schools closed down initially, uh, we all went into this lockdown. I think it was about after a week or so, my dad had called our house just to check on us and he wanted to check. I have two daughters that are nine and six. They're watching tonight. Hi, Chase. Hi, Carson. Uh, in that first week, I distinctly remember that phone call because my dad asked my two girls, do you guys miss school? And my older one who takes after her mom and is very studious said, yes, absolutely, I miss school. And then Carson, my six-year-old, said, no way, Dad. She did not miss school one bit. And I remember that week because uh, my older daughter was doing extra, extra work and trying to keep up really well with her schoolwork and didn't want to miss a beat. And then my little one uh, took the time to give me a fake haircut, and then she painted my toenails pink and added some glitter on the top. Right, like it just—it was such an interesting dynamic of of what we do with the time that we have. And I enjoyed uh, my pedicure, and I hope that uh, you know if that's something that she wants to do as a career, I will fully support her if she wants to work on. Uh, grown men's feet, uh, I, that's not my bag. But whatever she chooses to do, at least in this time of lockdown, she was preparing for that. And just, you guys, just a, a fun and simple uh, reminder of where, where's your focus, right? As we've, as we've gone through this year, what have you been preparing for? Uh, and if you would have known that this was all coming, or if you could go back and start this lockdown again, would you do anything different? Would you have made some different choices? Would you have... Uh, just done some things over? Would you have been more purposeful in your time? I know they, there was a joke about gaining weight at the beginning of quarantine, and, and usually you saw people either gain 15 pounds or lose 15 pounds, depending on how disciplined that they wanted to be. Uh, but it just really, how would you use your time? And I, and I, I was blessed uh, to be a big fellow, and uh, I, I earned a college scholarship to play football at San Jose State University, and it was a blessing. It paid for college. And I remember that football was just always a crazy, crazy game. It took up so much of your life, so much of your time. They called us student athletes, but it was really football player, then you went to school when you could kind of thing. Uh, apparently, I took 12 units, and half of those were weightlifting and running, I guess. But uh, nowadays, students are carrying so many more units than that. But football was just crazy. You would practice all year long. You would train day in and day out. 
for the whole offseason, and then you would get a maximum of 12 to 15 games. I think high school, you're only guaranteed 10 games. You know, we'd start practice uh, two weeks after the season ended in preparation for the next season with lifting, speed routines, workouts, uh, spring camp, which was like five in the morning for us, and it was really cold up in San Jose at five in the morning. We had summer camp. We had hell weeks, which were like all day long practices and meetings and feedings. That's what we were like cattle. They just herded us in, and you got, you got blown up with food, and you had to work out so you could get ready for the next thing that was coming. But just so many things, all these preparations, tons of long hours, long days, and a lot of work that was put in before the actual game or before we would even see the field of battle. And we even had a countdown timer that started the day after our season ended. It had the countdown in the opponent for the very next season, and it was months and months and months away. We wanted to be the best that we could, as strong as we could, as prepared and as focused as we could possibly be before that season ever came. And, and it's, it's one of those things where our season, the success of our season was set up by the season of work and preparation that we had done ahead of time. And, and I likened it to this, or this is something that you would want to write down in your notes. Our victory comes in the preparation. That's a point I want to make to you tonight. Our victory comes in the preparation, and, and we'll touch real quickly. I won't make you go there, but this reminds me of the story of David, and it's in 1 Samuel 17 if you wanted to have that as your reference, but we get a glimpse of what David's days in the field tending sheep were like. Uh, as he comes to visit his brothers, he hears the enemy giant call out. You guys know this story. We've heard it since we were kids, but he hears the giant speak out against his God and against his people, and David knows who his God is. He knows that God fights for him and fights with him, so he goes to the king and tells him that he'll go fight this giant. And in verses 32 through 37, he outlines what he had been doing leading up to this battle, and he talks about the time that a lion and a bear came and took a sheep from his flock and how he went out after them and struck them down. Uh, I remember in school and as kids, we used to watch National Geographic videos, and, and I just have these pictures of these lions, and as they come up to you, they're not like when a lion is hunting, so when a lion was going after the sheep, they were sneaky. These things are fast, they are smart, they are sneaky. They don't come out into the field and roar to let you know that they are there. They are trying to be sneaky and catch you by surprise. Uh, and, and this is just thinking of those videos as I, as I correlate this to the story of David, as he's telling Saul about the time that he was in the field and the lion came. There's a lot of things you can learn uh, just from hearing David tell about these things. Uh, you could tell that David wasn't just a, a young man that was wasting time in the field, that he cared about his job, that he honored his responsibilities. The lion was not able to sneak up on David. He, he saw the lion. He was able to protect most of the flock. And then when the lion did get one, he went out after it. Uh, he was responsible. He was courageous. He was attentive. And he was skilled. Uh, and I, and I, as I read that story, I think to myself, man, what a temptation every single day in that field just to be super lazy. It's just you by yourself with all these sheep and they're just eating grass. Like how much of a temptation would it be just to be super lazy? Uh, I think nowadays if this was a young, most young men, we have some amazing young people. Uh, I would, in this church, I would know I'm the youth pastor and I get to hang out with these awesome young people all the time. But I imagine the normal teenager <laughs> that, that was in David's job nowadays, if they were, if they were tending sheep nowadays, uh, it would be so hard to pull their attention to the sheep. They'd be on their phone having a text conversation or they'd be in the middle of a video game only looking up to check on the sheep when there was a lull in the action of the game that they were playing. I just imagine how boring this could have been on a day-to-day -day for David. 
guys, and I know that you can relate to this because some of us after the first week of this lockdown were bored out of our minds. We had gone on every walking trail, uh, done every loop in our neighborhood, and we just had nothing left to do. We were bored out of our minds. But David was on an everyday quarantine with just sheep. <laughs> you guys, we've been going through it for a couple months, but David did this for years, and he used this as his time of preparation if you were to go back to chapter 16, uh, we can see when David was anointed as the king, and it's Samuel the prophet comes down to Jesse's house, and at God's direction, he's there to anoint the next king. Uh, Saul had walked away from the anointing of God, had chosen to do some things differently, and a lot of the times as, as people rise to the power, we see that today. They forget that it's God who helped them get there, right? And the Bible warns this, that when you have eaten and you are full and you have goodly houses, don't forget that it is God that has given you those things. And we see Saul's heart has turned from the things of God, so it is time to find a new king. So Samuel's there to anoint a new king, and David's not even called to the dinner. He is still in the field tending these sheep, doing his job, which is such an amazing thing. Uh, and in verses 12 and 13, David returns Samuel anoints him as the next king, and I, and I want you guys to make this note. If you are taking notes, write this down. David is anointed as king during his season of preparation. You guys, this is not after he killed the giant or won a bunch of battles for the army of Israel. His anointing started in the field of preparation. Uh, Revelations 1, 5, and 6 uh, reads like this. It says, Jesus made us to be kings and priests unto God. You guys, as a child of God filled with the Holy Spirit, you are anointed of God and called to reign in this life. That's according to Romans 5, 17. Your anointing is now during this season of preparation. David didn't waste his anointing. He wasn't waiting and just sitting back relaxing because he knew he was going to be the king someday. We are anointed David understood that he was anointed to be the next king, and you are anointed to be a king now. He walked in his anointing and relationship with God, and he saw that carry him through several trials and many things that would come up later in his life, even as king. You guys, the start of this year, this 2020 uh, season, this 2020 very strange start to the year, we are are we, we're over halfway through now, guys, for 2020. Uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Our God is good, and no matter how much of a fire that you are in, it says we walk loose in the fire with God on our side. Uh, but use this time, guys, this 2020 season, use this as a time of preparation. I think so many times early on we took this as our season of persecution, Man, this is, we have to stay locked in our homes. Man, they're not letting churches open it. And so many of us took that on as a personal persecution, a personal trial. And guys, this is just the opportunity that you had to be in the field preparing to be the kings and priests that God has called us to be. So guys, I want to encourage you as we continue this, this time in our lives to use this off season, this season of preparation to grow in your wisdom and knowledge of God and his word. This is a time of development, of skills development, to help prepare you for times ahead, the battles, the trials, and the victories. You are anointed now, and you win your battles in the preparation. Guys, the Bible says it this way. If you want, go ahead and flip there to Ephesians 6, verse 13. 
We'll spend some time here. And you guys, these are not things that are unfamiliar to you. I am a simple man, and I'm glad that God can use simple, unlearned men to preach the word of God. And this, this passage is something that we talk about in our youth group often, and it's stuff that the church should not get away from. What a, what a timely passage, as the whole word of God is, but this is something that we need to be paying attention to now as well. Ephesians 6, in verse 13, it says this, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Guys, that evil day is now. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. You guys, the ability to stand in times of evil is developed in the preparation. It said, having done all to stand, stand. Verse 11 reads it like this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You guys, we put it on so that we are able to stand. That is your responsibility. That is something written for you. So you can't just say, oh, God will equip me. God will prepare me. Guys, there is an active thing that you have to putting on this armor of God, an active role that you play. This is your season of preparation. In this season, guys, as we've had these, these few months to have extra time to be with God and to be in his word, have we done all to stand? You guys, the Bible promises that trials are going to come, that persecution is going to come. But have you yourself done all that you could to stand? Have you put on the whole armor of God? Or are you fighting ill-equipped? Are you prepared or are you charging into battle prematurely? Um, my little one, Carson, she loves to play outside. She is super active and is just raring to go from 6.30 in the morning. If she sleeps in my bed, she sleeps until about 8.30. But when she's in her own room, as soon as the sun is up, she is out. And she is a spark plug and does not stop until her head hits that pillow at night. But Carson gets so excited to go outside and play sometimes. And uh, we, go, we always tell her, Carson, come on, put your shoes and socks on. And sometimes she forgets to put her socks on. Or she may purposefully neglect that part sometimes. But guys, you know, as adults, when you go run around all day with no socks inside of your shoes, you get two things. You get stinky feet and you get blisters. <laughs> in, in your hurry or your lack of preparation, you end up hurting yourself because you didn't put on all the things that you should have. My other daughter, Chase, loves to rollerblade and to skateboard. Uh, we're starting to get more into skateboarding, and I love it because me on rollerblades is not a sight that anybody should have to see. Uh, so we're working on rollerblading and skateboarding, but we have knee pads, elbow pads, helmets, wrist guards, and wouldn't you know that it's those times that you leave off that one piece of gear, that that's when you fall and slam that part now, we haven't had any serious injuries. I think if we had a pillow that we could put on our backside, that would help us out the most on our rollerblades. But it's that one thing that you leave off that tends to get hurt the most. You guys, there is a reason that God mentions it to us twice right here in these scriptures to put on the whole armor of God. When you don't take the time to get suited up in the armor of God, when you choose to leave a piece out, you are giving a place for the devil to operate few years ago, I may have shared this story before, but a few years ago, uh, every time I would get in the car, I had a really strong witness that I needed to put on my seatbelt. Guys, I'm an 80s kid, and seatbelts in the 80s were optional, well, at least at my house. I don't know if they were really optional by law. My dad had a van that I don't even know if there was a seatbelt in it, but we rode in that thing all the time. But uh, I, And I live, guys, the temptation is real. I live 
almost exactly one mile from the church, and there's no, there's no stoplights between me and the church. I literally just drive through the community, and I pull in. So usually I would not wear my seatbelt, and I just had this strong witness. It was a couple years ago that every time I got in the car, I needed to put on my seatbelt, and that feeling would not go away, and it was nagging enough to not be ignored. Well, as most things do when you're led by the Spirit, you never see what could have happened right? I I was never in an accident. I never had a a near miss where a seatbelt would have saved my life. And I can't see what all the nagging was about, but I knew enough to not ignore the spirit. And therefore, that was enough to not give place to the devil. You guys, when we ignore the spirit and the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, we're giving a footing to the devil so he can move in our lives. He is an equal opportunity destroyer seeking whom he may devour. So don't give him an inch. And you know why? Because if you do, he'll take it. Guys, suit up and put on the whole armor. Don't give place for the devil to move in your life. And and I think of things like that because maybe it was not a a me battle with a seatbelt. Maybe it was bigger than that. Or maybe just all the accumulative time that it took me to put on the seatbelt every morning, maybe it helped me avoid an accident. Or or maybe what what I think it really was was me setting the correct example of obeying the law. Me setting the correct example that every time my kids got in the car, it's now instilled in them that seatbelts are important. So maybe one day that plays into that. But we don't always know how how it's going to work out, but I know that I did my part and I did not give the devil a stronghold in that area of my life. And now I've passed that on to my kids where we can stand through simple obedience in the whole armor of God. And they know how to stand against the wiles of the devil in this area as well, those little temptations. Without the full armor of God, guys, you are fighting at a disadvantage that you were never meant to have. Right now, we're seeing this every single day by Christians. In these times, people are getting emotionally charged up. They're ready to fight for or against anything. They get excited and jump into a fight, ill-equipped and underprepared and underdressed. They have not prepared. They haven't fed on the word. They haven't learned the word. They haven't put it into practice in their lives. So they get excited, they get riled up, and they charge headfirst into a battle that they were never prepared for. Ill-equipped, lack of preparation, and the result is usually that they're easily manipulated and deceived. Guys, they don't judge things by the word, so they're easily led the wrong way. They end up joining themselves to people, organizations, and movements that put them in direct opposition to the values of God and his word. They end up fighting against the very biblical principles they are supposed to be equipped to stand in. Guys, this is all a choice. It's all due to a lack of preparation and off-season work. They're deceived and they end up standing backwards, ready to fight against God and exchange the truth of God's word for a lie, fighting against the very character and nature of God himself. Guys, they're helped in this deception and often by other Christians, popular speakers, or sometimes popular opinions. But why do we tend to follow people like that? Guys, many times movements, organizations, Political people, especially people, will purpose to take a scripture out of context with the goal of convincing you or guilting you into joining them, and it's done on purpose. It's not by a mistake. Guys, people know that, that Bible-believing Christians stand and believe that the word of God is infallible, and they believe it wholeheartedly, so they manipulate the word to lead you to the slaughter. Scriptures out of context. Write this down. Scriptures out of context lead to a life out of context. Friends, just because someone has taken a Bible verse and applied it to their narrative does not make it right. You guys, the example that we have of this in the Bible is what devil, the devil did in temptation of Jesus. He used scriptures, he twisted them, presented parts of scriptures, all to paint a picture that was a real temptation to Jesus. 
And if Satan tempted Jesus with part truths or half truths, part scriptures, twisted scriptures, don't think for one minute that that's not a battle that you will have to face as well. Scriptures out of context lead to lives out of context. Guys, right now, through social media, through different venues that, that, that we see every single day, many people are using scriptures out of context. One of, one of the popular ones that we see right now is about loving your neighbor. And they use this scripture. The Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself, and it absolutely does. But we need to make sure that we have everything in context because what will happen is they'll use this scripture to try to condemn or guilt you into supporting an anti-Christian value or an anti-Christian organization. And the minute you have a difference in opinion, those love scriptures are thrown out the window. You're personally attacked. You guys, this is going on all over social media right now. I've seen this happen by young people and to young people right here in Orange County just this past week. There's a good reason that we need to put on the whole armor of God and prepare for battle so we can avoid deception. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus, uh, on the road to Emmaus, and after he's gone to the cross, he rises again, and he appears to these two guys walking down the road. And in Luke 24, 27, it says this, And beginning at Moses, in all of the prophets, he expounded to them in all of the scriptures concerning himself. Guys, this is Jesus talking. He shows up, and he starts going through the entire Bible, through the entire uh, scripture that they had at the time, showing the truth of himself through this word of God. And Jesus didn't give him just some of the word. He expounded to them in all of the scriptures. Guys, he was helping them put on the whole armor of God. The entire Bible is important. If you want to be able to easily spot a scripture out of context, you have to know the word and you have to know the scriptures. It's the same way you can spot a life that's out of context. You know the word and you judge by the word. Uh, there's been a verse that's really been stirring with me, and it's, it's one that you guys have heard before. It's Hebrews 4.12, and it says this, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You guys, this word is so important. It's so powerful. Let's please use this. What does this scripture just tell us that the word of God does? It divides things of the soul and of the spirit. What does that mean for us? It helps you separate what's going on with you that's either just mental or emotional. It helps you separate those things from the things of the spirit of God that lives inside of you. It helps you rightfully discern what is going on in your body as well. The things of your mind, will, and emotions, it separates those from the things of God. I love the, the last part of that verse. It also says this, the word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Guys, that's what the word does, so you need to use it. Use the word to discern the thoughts and intents of men's hearts. That includes yourself, your own thoughts and intents, and the people who you choose to follow or be around. Discern the thoughts and hearts of a movement or organizational leaders or political parties or political leaders. We need to use the word to discern these things. Discern the thoughts and the hearts of everything that you come in contact with, every single person and you need to judge that by the word. The word says this, guys. It gives us the motive for doing anything. That's what this verse is talking about, being able to judge the thoughts and intents. Because there's a lot of people out there that are purposely trying to pull you away from the things of God. They're purposely letting the devil use them in the agenda to promote something different than what the word of God says is the truth. And it's done on purpose. But what's the motive? The Bible tells Christians what the motive for anything that we do is. And it's in 1 Corinthians 13. And it says, 
uh, that pretty much anything that we do without love, it profits nothing. You guys, it's not just talking about little things. It's talking about prophecy and other spiritual gifts, some really big things. And it says, without love, it profits me nothing, or it profits you nothing. You need to use the word to discern your own heart so you can see why you're doing the things you're doing. Are you driven by emotion? Or are you driven by the spirit of God? Why are you doing the things? Why are you believing the things that you believe? Guys, we're supposed to use this word to judge all things. Is what you're doing a thing of emotion, your own ideas, or is it a thing of the Spirit of God? The Word is the truth, and the Bible says that the truth shall make you free. The Bible warns us, guys, not to be deceived, and there's so much deception going on. You can have the same story on different news channels. There, social media is censored on both sides. It's just such an ugly time to be living in. The Bible warns us to not be deceived. That means that we have a job and a role to play in that. So you can either choose to be deceived, to let deception guide you, or you can refuse to be deceived as well. The Bible tells us to not be a fool. I love, there's some scriptures in the Bible that are so direct, and I know they're aimed right at me. Don't be foolish. Gain wisdom. Ask for understanding. Ask for wisdom. I love that the Bible tells us to ask for wisdom. If you lack it, that means probably a lot of us will. In any given area, we're going to lack it. You are told to ask for it, so ask. And that's a scripture reference to James 1.5. In any area, guys, if you lack wisdom, ask. The Bible says if you ask, you will receive. It's not a, it's not a loop of uncertainty, guys. If you need wisdom, ask, and your Father will give it to you. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Put in the work and the time so you can do all to do or do all to stand and stand there for you guys putting the work in, knowing the word of God, spending time in prayer, that results in you having the ability and the authority to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word is the truth. If something or someone does not line up with the word, they're wrong. It's as simple as that. So we need to be able to move on from that or separate that from ourselves as well. True freedom comes from the word in practice. Freedom won't be found in a popular opinion or a piece of legislature. It comes from God and his word. Once God and his word are the focus, lives are changed, real freedom can flood this nation. Guys, the current trajectory that we are, that we are headed in, laws, politicians, everything is continuing to move further and further away from God, so don't expect them to be your source of freedom. Deception is not a place of freedom. Your freedom comes by hearing and doing the word, and that's a personal choice that you have. Putting it into practice, making it a priority so that you are not deceived. With the word, you can rightly judge and discern, so you do not have to be deceived. You avoid deception by putting on the whole armor of God, by hearing, by knowing, and by doing the word. The Bible promises us this, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You guys, the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of truth. And the Bible says that the word is truth. The Holy Spirit's always going to lead us back into the word. That word of God is the solution to any situation, any circumstance, any tension, any problem that you may see going on in this world today. God and his word has the answer and the spirit will lead you back into it. Are you taking advantage of the opportunity to be led by the spirit back into the word? Do you let yourself be led back to the word of God or are you giving other voices the role of the Holy Spirit in your life? That's a tough question and one that we should focus on and examine to see what voices we let speak in. I know as young people on social media, there's so many voices coming at us over and over and over, but we need to make sure that the one voice that stands out above all the else, above everything else, is the Holy Spirit that always leads us back into the Word, that always leads us back into truth. 
There's power, freedom, and confidence when you live by the word of God and when you live a life led by the Spirit. When you live and speak and act based on the word, all of heaven backs you up. Isn't that a confidence-building thing? (laughs) Aren't you glad that you don't have to be left hanging out there on your own emotions, your own reactions, your own thoughts, your own feelings? Because, man, that can be a lonely place. But the Bible says that when you stay in line with God and his word, that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you, so you never have to be alone. Move in line with the word, and you can be confident that God is on your side. Guys, this is not a guessing game. If you stay true to the word, if this word is in your heart, if this word is what you speak, it's not a guessing game on whose side you are on. Don't let the voices that are out there convince you that God is against what you're standing for when you stand on the word. You either live the word and are on God's side or you're not. There's no middle ground on truth. God's word is the truth. Guys, I think one of the biggest mistakes that, that we make as people uh, and young people as well is that we're expecting the world to understand and live by the word of God, right? The natural man, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, says the natural man can't receive the things of God. They're foolishness to him. And Pastor Mike brought this up a few weeks ago if you were here. He said, stop expecting or stop thinking people are inherently good by nature. It's not scriptural. Jesus said in Mark 10, 18, why do you call me good? There is only one that is good, and that is God. And I want to I pose this question because I think we always want to see the best in people, and I'm not asking you not to do that because there's a lot of people out there that, that do things that are good, but inherently our nature, if we are not born again by the Spirit of God, our nature is inherently evil, right? Without the redemptive and forgiving work of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, what nature did you have on the inside of you? I think the Bible calls it a sin nature, and my, my simple question to you is, is sin good? And the answer is clearly no. So if without God, your nature was evil and sinful, which explains why the world is in the state that it is today, what is the nature of other people who have not let God transform their lives? Without God, people can't be good. And without God, you weren't. So why would they be? Stop expecting people of this world to lead you into the things of God. Every good and perfect thing comes down from above, from your heavenly Father. So stop expecting worldly people to make policies or laws that line up with God's word. Worldly people will not have biblical solutions or resolutions to sin problems. Guys, in everything that is going on, God and his word are the only hope that we have. The only chance of real lasting change is the church that operates in the love of God based on the word of God. We need to lead others towards the things of God and not follow them further and further away from him. So what do we do? Is the world too far gone? Do we quit and give up? Just enjoy the Southern California beach lifestyle that we are blessed with while the world around us collapses? Of course not. Guys, we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we must do all that we can to stand and then take that place. We know that what is going on in the earth right now is not God's will. He knew that it would happen, and he wrote about it in his word, but anytime you see people dying, that there's division, that there's destruction, you can be sure that is not the will of God, because John 10.10 says that he came to bring us life and life more abundant, and the thief is the one that comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and that's everything that is going on right now. The devil is behind the division and the destruction. It's not God's will what's going on. So how do we change it as a church, as a people, as a country, as a nation, as a world? How do we change the things that are going on? And I was listening to an old message uh, from years ago with Pastor Mike, and it just really struck me this week. It's a story about King Hezekiah in Isaiah Isaiah 38. 
and I, I won't take time to read it tonight because I know I want to, uh, we only have a few minutes left here, but uh, this is what's going on. King Hezekiah is sick and it's taking a turn for the worst. Uh, and uh, God sends uh, the prophet to talk to him and say, hey, get your affairs in order. And Hezekiah, we, we know the word of God where uh, it's clearly not God's will for you to be sick, for you to just die prematurely. The Bible talks about with long life, he'll satisfy you and show you his salvation. God's will is not for you to die young. God's will is for you to live out a life satisfied on this earth. So at the end, you can say, when you meet him, he can say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You have run your race. So we know just in this story that King Hezekiah is sick. This is not God's will. So God sends a prophet to him to tell him to get his affairs in order because he's going to die. Then verse 2 says this. It says, Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord. Guys, in, in the time of, great, of his greatest distress, his greatest need, it seems like his end is imminent. What does he do? He turns his face to the wall. And Pastor brought this out in the message I was listening to. Really what he's doing in this moment is turning away from everything else, anything worldly. Imagine when a king is somewhere and a prophet comes to him that the king is not the only one in this room. There's, he's surrounded by people, the people that serve him, the court of people that are there uh, to advise him. He's surrounded by people and it says he turns his face to the wall and he prays. He turned away from everyone and everything else that was going on, and he turns to his God. And the Bible says that he wept sore. You guys, this guy is taking his time and praying his heart out. He was seeking after his heavenly Father, and he prays. And after he's done praying, God, God says this, and it's such an amazing thing. And this is a promise that we have as well, that God, has, God says it this way. I have heard you and seen your tears. I will add unto, unto you 15 years. You guys, this is such a cool story because in his time of greatest distress, what does he do? He turns and prays and God hears him. And so many times uh, we have things that, that are going on in our life where God tries to warn us, like the seatbelts, things like that, that God's trying to warn us. And, and we know that God, clearly it wasn't his will for Hezekiah to die. But what happens is Hezekiah turns and prays and God's not playing games with them. So when God speaks, I love it, God speaks Hezekiah prays, and that made God able to answer his prayer. Guys, church, this is where we are now as a nation and as a country. As a church, we are driving further away from God, and he has been there warning us the whole time. So how do we respond? Guys, God's will is not for this country to be divided, but we have kept him out of everything. We've quit fighting in prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a, heart of a righteous man avails much. That word fervent is heartfelt, just like you saw Hezekiah pray. He was, he was praying to the point of tears and laying his heart out there for his heavenly father. And that effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, the Bible says that we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So where have we been, church? When the world needs us most, will we hide or will we turn this church into a house of prayer you guys will remember the story when Jesus uh, enters the temple and he sees them exchanging things and buying and selling in the church. And he flips over the tables in the temple and he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer and you have turned it into a den of thieves. Look at this church, it's a warning. What have we turned the house of God into today? A rock concert, a social club, a multimedia experience. Guys, the world can't afford for the church to be anything other than what God has called us to be, a house of prayer. This nation, its people, need the church to rise up in power and in prayer in the word of God and make a difference. 
We prepare and fight the good fight, the winning fight with God and his word. Jesus, speaking in Matthew 7, tells us to hear and do the words that he spoke. And when we do this, we are building our house on a firm foundation that will stand through the storms of life. Guys, being a doer of the word is how you prepare for the storm. It's how you prepare for the battle. You build your foundation before the storm hits. You prepare for victory before the battle comes. Pastor Mike said this in a sermon years ago as well. He said, your key to victory is your ability to see God in every situation. Guys, how do you see God in every situation? It's simple. You bring him and his word with you everywhere that you go. You see the battle in God's hands. You see the world and its people through the lens of God's word and his heart for them. And it reminds me of a story that I'll just touch on real quick before I let you go tonight. In 2 Chronicles, we see the story of Jehoshaphat, and he's facing a huge enemy army, and he chooses to bring God into the situation. He brings God and his word to the forefront. And how does he do this, guys? He prays. He prays an amazing prayer that I want you guys to go back and read. It's in 2 Chronicles 20, and just read the whole story. But he prays this amazing prayer, and the result is that God answers. God is able to move and react to his prayer. And God says this back to him, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17. He said, you won't even need to fight in this battle. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Church, God is with you. Turn to him in prayer and watch what he is able to do on your behalf. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Stand still in the whole armor of God and see the salvation of the Lord. We have a responsibility, church, to prepare and to be equipped to know, to speak, and to do the word, and know that God is the faithful one who promised that he would bring it to pass. Let's finally flip to Ephesians 6.10, and I just want to read this whole thing for you about the armor of God. Ephesians 6, in verse 10, it says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. This is important, verse 12, for us to remember today. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And in response to that, knowing who you fight, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The preparation of the gospel, church. Preparation, preparation, preparation. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That means any attack that Satan may throw at you. Your faith will bring you through. Verse 17, and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always. There's a calling for us, church, to continue to pray. Pray always. I don't know what the 2020 has looked like for you so far, but let's get rolling. Let's pray always with all prayer. That means in the Spirit. That means with our understanding with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Be praying for one another. Include God and His Word in everything and be equipped to stand. Guys, in verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God. Guys, out of everything that was listed, the only offensive weapon, the only thing that you should use to fight your battle is the word of God. This is how I fight my battles. I speak the word, I pray the word, and I live the word. I include God in everything. What do you speak? I know a lot of the times if you're confronted, you may react or may speak out of turn or may uh, just speak out of emotion or reaction. And if you're not speaking the word of God, which is your only offensive weapon, you're fighting at a disadvantage. You're leaving room for the devil to move. You're misusing or swinging a weapon that you don't have. What do you speak? Use your sword. Speak the word only, not your opinions, not your retaliations, not your feelings. Your weapon is the word of God. So swing your sword, make a difference, change the world by speaking the word. Confess the word, pray the word, and live the word. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, the deliverance, the safety, the help, the healing, the wholeness of the Lord. Stand still and see the victory of the Lord. Those are all things that that word salvation means in that scripture. Church, let's be a praying church as Jesus has asked us to be or called us to be prepared to stand in the whole armor of God, able to stand against anything that the devil can throw at us, any fiery dart, any attack, no matter who or what it comes through. We fight with the word of God and our faith. Church, we have God and his word on our side in every battle. Our God will never fail. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you that your word stands tall above all else. Father, let us be a church, let us be a people that don't forget the importance of prayer. When the world says, well, what else is the church going to do besides pray? God, if we, don't, if we don't pray, we have nothing. If we don't speak your word, we have nothing. So God, we will continue to pray. Because in the case of Hezekiah, in the case of Jehoshaphat, in the case of men and women throughout the entire word of God, prayers change things. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So tonight, God, we pray for this country. We pray for a, a nation uh, on the brink of division where there's people against people, organizations against organizations. God, we pray and we take hold and break the devil's grip on that. We pray boldly, God, knowing that your word stands above all else. God, we pray that people on whatever side of whatever issue that is currently dividing the country or people, we pray that each one would have soft hearts of forgiveness towards one another. God, that we would forgive as you forgave us. That your church would stand and be a house of prayer. That we would rightfully discern the thoughts and intents of men, of politicians, of laws, of organizations. That we would rightfully be able to discern the thoughts and the intents of men's hearts. And that we can do all that because we have your word, which never changes, never wavers, and never fails. Oh God, that we would be a church that continues to pray and stand boldly for the things of God that are set forth in your word. God, we believe that you are on the move, that your glory will be seen throughout the entire earth. As the days draw short to your return, Father, you are coming back for a glorious church. God, and we know that we have a big responsibility and Father, forgive us where we may have let you down. Where we may have not used this, this beginning of 2020 to stand for the things of God. Where we may not have used this time in the field of preparation to get our hearts and spirits to the place where you need us to step into. We purpose to be a people 
that follows after you. And from this moment on, a church that is dedicated to boldly speaking the word of God, to living out your word and being the church, the house of prayer that you have called us to. Thank you that the effectual fervent prayer of your righteous children change things, that they avail much and that they make a difference. Father, we thank you for hearts of forgiveness across the entire world. That we will learn to love as you do, Father. That we will learn to forgive like you do. And that any time that we are confronted, we have a ready defense, and that is your word, God. Help your people, help your church to be an example of how not to be led by emotion, but how to be led by the Spirit of God himself. That we would speak the right things, that we would do the right things, that we would follow the Holy Spirit that we have to lead us and guide us as a right, as one of your children, that that Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all things, that they would lead us and guide us into the truth, and that the Holy Spirit would bring things to our remembrance so that we would have the words to say. Just like you told Moses that you would give him the words to say. God, give us the words to speak. Help us to speak your words. Holy Spirit, we call on you to bring the word of God to remembrance the things that we've put down in our hearts, the things that we have focused on by being a doer of the word, by being a studier and a student of the word, to bring those things to remembrance when your word is what is needed to change this place. Father, we give you all the glory. We thank you for, uh, for everyone that's here tonight that's listening online. We thank you for our pastor, for Pastor Mike and Pastor Beth and their family as they are away, uh, refreshing and relaxing. God, let them know that they are loved, we eagerly await their return, and we are so blessed to have faithful men and women like them to follow after in this time and in this church. God, let them know that we love them and we miss them, and we're eager to see them again this Sunday. Family, if you can agree with that, would you say amen? There's eight of us, so we'll all yell amen together. But guys, I hope that ministered to your heart tonight. Uh, don't forget, 9.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, we actually meet here live together uh, so come and be part of our church family here Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Pastor Mike will be back. We love you guys. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you.